Hello, everybody. Welcome to Detox Podcast. I'm Denise Walker, your host. This is episode 70. It's called Venti and Shades. And I'll give you a little bit of a content warning right off the bat here. We're going to be talking about self-harm today. So if that is not a safe topic for you to listen to, then I suggest skipping over to the next episode. I am recording this from my place of business, City and Soul Wellness Collective. It is just me here in the building today. Um, We're on lockdown again. So unfortunately, we can't see anybody here. All our stuff is online, uh, including some workshops we've got coming up to give you some support through the holiday season. Uh, Tomorrow, Saturday, December uh, the 19th, we have a seasonal support breathwork workshop that includes a couple little top-up uh moments throughout the week leading up to christmas eve and then on sunday december 20th we have a winter solstice workshop and then on december 31st new year's eve there is a yoga nidra workshop to gently and intentionally welcome welcome in 2021 um yes (laughs) So if you're interested in any of that, uh, you can head to cityandsoul.ca slash workshops where you can sign up for any of those and you can join from anywhere in the world because they're all virtual workshops. I'm going to be attending all of them, so (laughs) I'll see you there. Uh, Without further ado, let's read this poem, Venti and Shades. Five years running on coffee fumes to mask a skin that reeks of rocket fuel. You got a match? You beg me to stop asking that, but I can't shake it. I can't stop shaking. Light me up. I wanted to name this poem Venti Non-Fat Iced Chai Latte Light Ice with Two Shots of Espresso and Sunglasses. (laughs) But that wouldn't fit on the line here. Uh, That was my Starbucks order at the time. I was buying that all the time. There's a Starbucks right across from my other work at Ambulance Dispatch. Um, Kind of a a dangerous but very convenient place to have a Starbucks for me and my coworkers. Um, But yeah, at the time I had been working there for five years. I'd been addicted to alcohol pretty much the whole time, getting worse and worse every day. And that venti dirty chai that's what you you call chai that has espresso in it by the way (laughs) venti dirty chai um was just the thing that got me through it was the thing that kind of made me feel slightly human while i was feeling like absolute garbage on the inside um yeah It says here in the poem, it's like a, in quotation marks, like a question, like I'm asking it, you got a match? Alluding to the idea that if someone were to give me a match, I could then self-destruct. And that's what we're talking about today, self-destructive behavior, um, how it relates um, in our interactions with other people, and kind of where it comes from. Because I didn't really understand. Uh, I was 
self-harming from an early age, starting with like legitimate self-harm with cutting. And then it just kind of morphed into all these other aspects of self-harm throughout my teens and then into my adult years. And I didn't really understand at all why I was doing it in the first place. I didn't, it felt kind of normal. Like I was, I was in the emo scene as a teenager and it was sort of like part of the package. You were almost like expected to self-harm as an emo teenager. Uh, I was the cliche, I guess. Uh, but I also was around people who did it. Some people anyway, not, not many people, but one other person is enough to normalize it. One other person doing the act or talking about it or um, engaging in content about it is enough for the young mind to feel like it's an okay idea. And so self-harm comes in so many different forms. I originally thought it was like physical self-harm or reckless behavior that would put you in physical harm's way. Like, I always remember uh, this one video they like shared with us in health class where there's like these teenagers and it's, it's trying to identify uh, suicidal inclinations in your friends or something like that, something pretty dark. And there's like this one male teenager character in the video and he is doing reckless behaviors they're drinking they're doing drugs and then he's also doing things like balancing on bridges that are really high up and that's what i always think of when i think of reckless behavior it's like driving really fast with like kind of with abandon and um just not really caring about the consequence of your actions is pushing the limits and pushing the line putting the toe over the line crossing the line so that's what i think of when i think about reckless behavior something that could end up in injury or death essentially and then there's also like reckless sexual behavior where if you you're going out and having um sex with many partners in an unsafe like unprotected way you can put yourself out there to have you know sexually transmitted diseases uh also pregnancy that you weren't expecting or there's even kind of like the darker side to that where you're putting yourself in danger of um like going out and seeking sexual encounters with strangers, anything can happen, right? If you're in a stranger's home, in a stranger's car, you don't know this person, they could be a violent person. So <clears throat> there's those kinds of self-harm. Of course, there's like drinking and drugs, that's self-harm. There's physical self-injury and there's reckless behavior, but there's also emotional self-harm the way you talk to yourself can be 
self-injurious. If you, is that a word? <laughs> Injurious? Um, but negative self-talk is a form of self-harm. If you are constantly talking down to yourself, saying like, I'm worthless, um, I'll never amount to anything, I'm not good enough, I could never do that, I, um, I deserve this negative thing that's happened to me, this, this kind of negative narrative that's running through your head is a version of self-harm. It hurts you. It does. And these things kind of go hand in hand, right? It's almost this kind of like a circle where if you are talking negatively to yourself and then you engage in a compulsive behavior like drinking, and then the next day you say, oh my God, I feel like garbage. Why can't I stop? I'm, I'm so useless. I hate myself. I'm killing myself. Um, and then you start to blame yourself for these actions as if there was something inherently wrong with you. So you continue to do the behavior because you say, oh, well, I'm just a waste of space. I'm just going to keep doing this because who cares? And it just kind of perpetuates like that negative self-loathing coupled with negative physical self-harm. And this question in the poem, you got a match, it, in, it immediately introduces a secondary character into the poem here. It means that there's somebody else involved. It's, it's me asking if somebody has the thing that I require to self-destruct. And it's not really it's not really that I want to self-destruct, it's that I want somebody to notice that I want to self-destruct. And it's this idea that self-harm is a cry for help that's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way or, or this notion that, oh, she's just doing it for the attention. You've heard that, right? Maybe even you've used it yourself. I remember in high school, that was a huge, huge thing. If somebody was um, exhibiting self-harm or even suicidal ideation, they would be, oh, well, she's probably just doing it for the attention. And it was kind of this like bitchy, catty response that then would completely discredit this person's trauma or how they were actually feeling because so what if they're doing it for the attention? Attention is a very important part about being human. We should not be starved of attention. We should not be always empty of attention and always needing to seek it out. There should be this beautiful ebb and flow of energy between us and others, this giving and receiving and not always just giving. And if we've gotten to a point where we feel so neglected, perhaps by our parents, um, especially in those teenage, youthful, and even earlier years, the reasons we do self-destructive behaviors is usually 
because something's going on in our life. We might not even put the two and two together. I didn't. I didn't until I was an adult why I was doing these self-destructive behaviors. I couldn't understand them. I was just, it was just this dark part of me, you know? And self-destruction comes from so many different things that could be happening. You could have a abusive family home in the fact that it could be like outwardly physically or emotionally abusive, or it could be you have a mentally ill parent who is very distant and not engaged and there's this kind of void, right? You could be bullied outside of your home. You could have an abusive caretaker. You could have parents that also engage in these dysregulated negative behaviors where uh, they're using alcohol or drugs to cope or they're always putting themselves down around you. And, and you're having to tell them like, no, you are a good parent and no, I love you and all these things like they're being self-deprecating around you. And then perhaps you feel like you need to pump them up and make them feel like they truly are worthy of, of themselves and their life. Um, so there's these really like potent things going on in people's lives that make them then act in these self-destructive ways. And to say that someone's just doing it for the attention, that should be enough. And the idea that it's a cry for help, like I never was like, oh, I need help. I must cry out and then like self-injure myself. That was never, it's not like a conscious, like, oh, I need help. Right? It's like this very, for me, very like unconscious thing that's happening. And the cry for help is kind of like on the outside, right? It's if somebody else were to hear it. The cry is for them. It's not for me. It's, it's to alert others that there's something not quite right with me. And right meaning not the opposite of wrong, like there's nothing wrong with me, but there's something wrong with how my life has gone. I should not be hurting myself. That's not, that's not a normal state of being. That's not a happy state of being. But there's nothing wrong with me. Are you with me? There's nothing wrong with you. You are a beautiful, perfect, whole, divine creature. And something has gone awry in your life. And you're finding ways to control that. Perhaps you are the kind of person who is more sensitive and feels their emotions much more strongly than others. I used to think that that was like a weakness. I used to think that that was pitiful, someone to be so emotional. I can even identify people that used to be like in my class as a child who I would, I would label emotional and that would be a weakness. They would be like this, this thing that needed, you know, you needed to walk on eggshells around them. 
I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be pitied. I didn't want to be handled with care like a fragile little bird, you know? I always saw that saw that as a bad thing. But it's not. To feel your emotions that much more strongly usually means that you are a more creative, empathic person and that you are so much more in tune with how you feel. And that's such valuable information, such valuable data to have. And so from an early age, especially if we were in a family or um, other environment growing up, we found ways, we, we were exposed to emotions We felt these emotions really strong to the point that they were unbearable. So we found ways to dampen them. And perhaps at first we just said like, oh, I'll just try to like ignore this or just not think about it. But that only works for so long before we start implementing other strategies to lessen the sensation of these feelings. Um, I've also read that chronic avoidance or procrastination is a form of self-harm. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around that one uh, as I, for the longest time, was a super big procrastinator and I still procrastinate, but it's not in every aspect of my life. Um, The most is probably my home. Like I can be quite a messy person My house is not a show home. That's not what it looks like. And I have to do a severe deep clean before I can have company over, which that's one of the pluses for the pandemic for me is that I don't have to have my house like do like all this effort just to have company. I can just kind of be in my element, Um, (laughs) which is a mess. But apparently, I don't know, perhaps got me thinking like could this could this possibly be something that is harming me am i acting out old patterns still something for me to explore maybe for you to explore yeah i used to want people to see how much pain i was in That was part of the self-harm. It was like I wanted them to know until they actually did, if that makes sense. If people saw my scars, it was like I wanted them to see them. But then as soon as they did, and I was put into that place where I needed to explain myself, my instinct was to lie. And even until my adult years I would lie so I don't know what that is about perhaps it's like this thing this trauma And this societal narrative, this trope in society that we are to be saved. That someone will come along and just know 
just how much pain we're in and know exactly what to do without having to ask, without having to explain, to actually say it. Just this desire to be known so deeply that words are irrelevant. That kind of desire is delicious and tantalizing. And all we do is crave connection. Feels like things are getting harder now. It feels harder to reach out to the people in my life. At first I was so wrapped up in the idea of building this business. So wrapped up in my own world. It was a massive distraction. And it was good that I've had such focus and, and dedicated drive towards something else through this year. But now it's kind of gone quiet. And it's my turn to sit with myself. But I'm going to challenge myself to actually reach out to people. Instead of wallowing in my feelings of heaviness, because that can be self-harm too. It's important to feel the feelings. If you have trouble feeling your feelings, this is what my therapist and I are working on right now. Every night, I sit down to journal and I just quickly jot down things that happened throughout my day that provoked an emotional response. Or if they don't provoke an emotional response right away, I might feel differently about them afterwards because, because of all of this, because of this needing to dampen my emotions and needing to shut this down throughout my life, it has become so instinctual for me to compartmentalize any emotional thing that happens. Things that are easy for me to feel are personal things where I feel like I've done something wrong. That I feel, and it feels horrible. Um, I don't like feeling incompetent or like I've made a mistake or like I'm, I don't have my shit together. I do not like feeling like that, I've learned. <laughs> but that's something I'm going to have to learn to sit in and not just pack away. 
So at least those feelings are still coming through. But I feel in in moments where it involves another person and feeling like they've done something to hurt me or anger me or irritate me or annoy me or sadden me or something, if I'm the one who's supposed to have the reaction towards someone else's actions, I shut it down. I'm so conflict averse that I just lock it away and I don't even have like the initial response or reaction. It's it's just like, oh, that's totally fine. Don't worry about it kind of response. So right now I'm going back at the end of the day and going through the day and identifying these points where like, oh, how did that make me feel? Because I feel I haven't, I'm not being truly authentic in my interactions because I don't have a response. I just say, oh, it's okay. That's fine. But it's not fine. I just say it is. Which is not fair. No, people should know how I truly feel. People should know how I, my whole self, you know, it's like denying a part of myself and, and then other peoples are denied that part of me as well. And then we don't have a truly authentic relationship. And it took me a long time to realize that because the whole point of why I was doing that, I thought was to make other people happy and feel okay. And like what they did wasn't hurtful because like I said, when I feel like I've done something wrong, it's nearly an unbear unbearable feeling. But I am realizing now that that's, it's just selfishness, like we talked about last week, that avoidance of conflict, avoidance of discomfort, instead of just being truly authentic to how I feel. And I don't want to shut down this part of myself that can can go through things logically. But I don't want to shut out my emotions either. I'm moving towards balance. So I hope you're doing all right out there. And if you're not, I'm with you. These are tough times. I know we hear that all the time. We know, we know they're tough times. We get it. One foot in front of the other. Here is the poem, venti iced non-fat chai, two shots of espresso, light ice, and sunglasses. Five years running on coffee fumes to mask a skin that reeks of rocket fuel. You got a match? You beg me to stop asking that, but I can't shake it. I can't stop shaking. Light me 